This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 405, New Tech and Another edition of Games at Work.biz. This is one of your co-hosts, Michael Martin, who's back again in the saddle. Uh, and I'm joined today by uh, my fabulous two other co-hosts, who I will pass this along to straight away. Uh, let's start with you, Mr. Michael Rowe. How are you doing today? Hey, Michael. I am doing well. Glad to have you back. And glad for another exciting Friday talking of tech with uh, our other co-host, uh, Andy Piper. Andy, how are you? I am well. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning, wherever you are as you listen. Uh, yeah, doing great. Looking forward to talking about what's new. Um, glad to be here. Fantastic. Well, we've got a whole range of awesome things here that have come in over the week, and we want to do a quick shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Ed Ross, who had shared with us over on Mastodon a blog post of his about ChatGPT drawing a self-portrait. Um, you should take a look at it. It's really intriguing the way that he had put in the structure for how to get ChatGPT to interact, um, and it's pretty clever, and the output is... Um, <laughs> a little frowny facey, I guess, really, for all things considered. I thought it was smiley facey. <laughs> yeah. With a big chin. Yeah, it depends where you where you draw the line. What, what, how you interpret you focus, the lines, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. I both I also thought I also saw the frowny, but um but yeah, if you don't see that as a uh, the nose as a mouth, or you've seen the mouth nose as a mouth the other way around, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go look at the article and, and uh, you'll learn exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. And or, or not. Maybe you're going to see something entirely different. You know, <laughs> context clues in human beings are a little different <laughs> than others. Um, so so we've got a couple of interesting stories on new tech and we're going to start off with one uh, on the VR front. So there's an article from The Verge about the big screen VR beyond headset. So this is not the usual thing that we've seen before. It's a little bit smaller, a little sleeker uh, from a company called Big Screen. Very appropriate name, I would say, because if you're wearing a big screen headset, it's like you're looking at, oh, I don't know, something larger than a small screen, wouldn't you say? Well, what's really interesting about these guys is, uh, well, <laughs> excluding the price, uh, because uh, most of the, the the features that you really need for VR require you to have additional hardware like you know hand controls etc but this is this is the way i look at it this is much better for people who just want a large screen viewing experience mm -hmm. and I, I seem to remember i don't know if it was big screen or companies very similar to them that were at ces years ago that were all about you know giving you the ability to sit on an airplane, put these on, and, and watch movies as if you're at a movie theater, right? Because it would give you that big screen experience. Yeah. Uh, but this actually does integrate in with um, some of the Steam VR capabilities. Yeah, I noticed. So if you have some of their additional hardware, then you can use it really as a as a VR headset. I thought the, the integration with the Steam VR stuff was interesting, where it's using that for... Um, your, uh, your the, the, the tracking um, and and so on. And yeah, I, I like the idea of these not being a one size fits all. I think that 
when you're dealing with human bodies and faces and heads and and, and things, then yeah, definitely they, we we all are differently <laughs> shaped. And uh, you know, if you go and get glasses fitted, then you'll spend some time with the optometrist having having that work done to to make sure that things fit appropriately for you. But at scale, if you want to be selling this without having to have that, you know, high touch element customization exactly so so how you marry the customization desire and the comfort with the ability to sell stuff at scale without having to have the individual high touch you know elements um is is curious i i do like that now i'm what's not clear they talk about using any uh iphone xr or newer to do that facial scan to create that plate that you put in the in the the goggles so that it's custom to your face um the the thing that's not clear is if you were any other smartphone user like a google device or a samsung do you have the ability to do that scan to put the plate in your face i don't know whether samsung have yet copied apple with the uh ear canal scanning thing that they do or the ear ear shape scanning thing they do for the airpods now um but um that seems to be i'm being cynical but that seems to be what tends to happen apple do something cool like that and along comes samsung the next generation of their stuff and do the exact same thing so um if it's not available in android for example the face scanning and, and stuff yet then i imagine that that can't be far off but the fact that you can swap it in and out if you got multiple people mm. wanting to use the same headset, that's mm. that's also a really cool feature, right? Uh, that way you don't have to, you know, have the device itself customized. You just have that plate customized. So, Very cool. so let's switch gears just a bit and go from VR to AR. And so we have an article here. And Michael, I think this is kind of like nicely set up for you, uh, given that the focus here is about Snap as a company using ray tracing to make their AR lenses even better. And and I seem to recall we, we've had some big discussions about ray tracing in the past, didn't we? Didn't we have one like once upon a time regarding, was it the well, Masters or something? we've had it multiple something? times. And, because to me, ray tracing is is like the perfect example of the change of computing power over the years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I was an undergrad, I worked as a computer operator at at the data center on campus, and we had what was called a supercomputer back in the day, uh, and uh, that was a Cyber two hundred five supercomputer. If you want to date me, uh, and I remember working and watching it generate a single ray trace image and taking 24 hours to do so. Um, And it was a a train on a track with multiple light sources. And then years later, I got, you know, my first PC compatible and I would play with POV, right? Persistence of vision, the ray tracing tool. And, you know, eight hours for the first time I did it, years later, it was 45 minutes. And then Andy, you and I, when we were working together back in uh, 2007 timeframe, right? We we had demonstrations of uh, two PS. Were they PS2s or PS? You know, the original PlayStation yeah. network together doing 60 frames per second ray tracing. Mm-hmm. And so now you're talking about putting ray tracing on on a chip in glasses, <laughs> just so that you can show uh, the ability to demonstrate light reflectivity off of a surface. I want to say, which was, is what ray tracing is all about. I want to say it was PS3s because it's the ones that had the power chips that you could put Linux on. But it was the power yeah, chips, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was a PS3. Yeah, 
Yeah, okay. just uh, well, that's my contribution to that that part of the the show. Um, I was going to joke that the reason this was set up for Michael was that uh, the the pictures, the images used in the Snapchat story here all um, involve items of jewellery, and of course, Michael, of course, is still uh, after the One Ring. So, oh. ah. yes, yes, he is. <laughs> there you go. But well, well, I I look at this and and uh, you know we've had a lot of of. Um, discussions recently about dolly and other tools drawing things right and i looked at the arms and thought they were malformed <laughs> in the pictures and i don't know if it's just the jewelry itself or or uh, yeah, or how the uh, reflections on but they 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 just do not look natural to no, me no <laughs> it's it looks like it, they were superimposed but you know why that's because they're ar Yes. Right. So, arr, 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 arr. so there, there you go. And you know, with this just being on the show right after Valentine's Day, you know, this would have been a great way to surprise someone you love with a piece of AR jewelry. If it was a piece of fake jewelry, I didn't get you any any <laughs> real jewelry. jewelry. That they could only look just, at if they wore glasses. Just put your snap glasses on and look at your wrists. And there's that nice like, expensive watch that I didn't buy you. Yes, but it, but that's how and then look. hand them to somebody else so that they can look at your wrist too, right? Because they can't see it normally. <laughs> But, but but actually, it, it connects directly back up to our previous story here, which which at the end of yeah. the TechCrunch article about um, the the snap lenses by talking about the fact that they partnered with Amazon and the broader plan is to kick off a partnership around eyewear um, to to do some of this kind of uh, this kind of thing. So yeah, exactly. What, what was the name of the company that would uh, do uh, glasses try-ons using um, uh, War- AR? Warby Parker. Thank you. That's it, right? That's, yeah, I was trying to remember that, and, and you know, uh, because I, back over the holidays, I I got my glasses updated, right, and I got the exact same frames as before. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, improved power but, on the uh, lenses, right? I I use it, but just imagine it's such a hassle when you're at the at the opt- optometrist, as we were talking earlier, to get the right glasses that have the right shape and the right fit and the right this and the right that. Uh, so I, yeah. I use a similar service here in the UK, and actually this morning I got up and decided I put on a different pair than the ones I normally use because I do have a, more than one pair th- with the same prescription, just because you know they they were affordable, um, and I wanted to mix things up. So anyway, uh, let's talk about some old stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's let's, let's do. do. So uh, the first one is a Mastodon link that Andy, I'm sure, with your, all of your printing that you're doing these days, 3D printing mostly, uh, would appeal to you. So. Uh, tell us a little bit about what this Atari printer is doing here. Yeah, so this is, um, I don't know if you remember the the Mac Picasso uh, from the vintage Macs, but uh, it's, a, it's yes. a little um, Atari printer reproducing it. I think the thing that caught my eye actually with, um, with the post um, was that it's got the vintage, um, but now, of course, retro vintage or retro, or everything old is new again, uh, the, the Hello uh, font in the background there from from uh, Apple, yeah. um, which looks, you know, caught my eye for whatever reason. Um, and then the post has a follow-up with uh, showing a, a Macintosh XL being uh, drawn on the same printer, although that's not not animated. Um, so there's a, there's a number of those. So this is using these old, um, this is a, a plotter rather than a printer, right? So it's actually uh, right. able to draw um, interesting lines and things on this old, um, Atari hardware, um, it's it's fun. It's really fun. And if if you scroll down through the thread, um, he shows uh, how he's using um, a custom controller with with uh, 
with a, a Wi-Fi um, module to to do these custom plots. It's really fun. I, I thought it was interesting when I first saw it. I didn't really paid that much mm. attention to it. I just watched the video mm-hmm. real quick. And and I thought for a second it was a thermal printer. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because uh, I was thinking of the, the, the printer that I really wanted with my Timex Sinclair. Oh, right? yeah. Because <laughs> those things, they, they did such a great job of printing. And actually, the thermal printers were fairly fast compared to dot matrix at the time, right? Because it was a heat element instead of uh, actually, you know, if you, with each dot. If you go look at Paul uh, Paul Ricard's uh, Mastodon um, profile page, he's got a ton of cool stuff, um, and he has got a shop with um, plotted uh, artwork based on Commodore 64 and other vintage stuff. So if you're into your vintage tech, then uh, check out his his site. I, I, I remember, in, again, at the computer center where I worked, uh, I had a, a, a sysadmin account. So I actually could use the Calcom printers that we had, uh, plotters, which were, you know, I think four or five feet wide sheets of paper with multiple inks. Uh, and I would make posters with them. <laughs> He's got um, a, a picture of um, fanfold paper as well being print, print, printed or, or having been printed on his plotter, which is really fun. So yeah, check it out. Super cool. So so we've got another Mastodon post. Uh, this time uh, it's a different kind of printing. This is a three D <laughs> printing one as opposed to plotting. And um, the 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 fun element here is that it is looks like a floppy disk uh, of of days of yore. You know, not the big five and a quarter ones, but the smaller ones. And uh, the question was, can you run Windows on a floppy? And there's a little uh, display screen inside of there. <laughs> where Windows is running. And the thing that I love the most about this and that I definitely uh, reposted here too was someone saying, I need to run Doom on it. Please yes. let me run Doom yeah. on yeah, a yeah, floppy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so this is uh, a couple of couple of points here. So um, this is running this is running on an Adafruit Pi portal, which is one of the boards I've got somewhere lying around. Um, <laughs> he said, not having time to sort through all of his different dev boards. So that's got a dis- the display on it. Uh, and uh, it's running CircuitPython now. Um, one of the things that um, Adafruit have been doing for fun, as far as I can tell, with CircuitPython 8 is they've been working on supporting floppy disks as uh, so, <laughs> something not not to run on uh, like this, but actually, this you know, way. they uh, they wanted to be able to to actually get data off of floppy disks, um, ironically. But yeah, uh, the community is just so creative. This is really fun uh, and uh, completely pointless. But and and I don't actually know. I think he, he's probably just displaying a bitmap of a Windows file. Um, I want to say Finder, but I mean Explorer window. Uh, but uh, rather than actually running Windows there, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun idea. Well, he's got he's got the external cable plugged into it, right? Uh, that's probably more than just power. Could, I uh, suspect it's could actually prob- be a keyboard attachment. Probably just power, <laughs> but yeah. It's possible. <laughs> you need to have a wireless keyboard with a floppy disk. I mean, you would want to connect it with a oh, cable. Oh, of course. Come on, right? You know, no, really. that's just old school. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I don't know which of the two of you found this next article, um, but uh, I have been a big Miata fan for a long time. Uh, Andy, walk, walk us through the gasoline car review, if you would. This is super fun. And uh, I think I saw this on the socials uh, during the week. And this is from Jeff Greer, and it's one of these reverse uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek reviews where he's reviewing 
in this case a Mazda Miata, uh, as uh, as if you know um, things were the other way around. And the the new thing, the the thing that people were fascinated by was uh, gas powered vehicles, gasoline powered and petrol powered vehicles, rather than combustion engines, rather than electric vehicles. And so the whole thing is written in in that uh, sort of faux sense of wonder and confusion about this newfangled, old-fangled technology. So, uh, you know, uh, he opened the door, the handles are prominent, sat in the driver's seat and nothing happened. There were no screens showing messages. The climate control didn't switch on. The car seemed dead. I pressed the accelerator, but nothing happened. You've got to start this car. (laughs) Uh, He even goes through talking about needing to... uh, refill the car with with fuel and uh going to the yeah how it's not fueled up automatically in the morning and yeah <laughs> how he has to go somewhere to get fuel that might not be yeah. available and he's worried about it and that whole clutch thing yeah. right that additional pedal what the heck's that for uh yeah i i, I really enjoyed reading this it uh um it, it, it's interesting though because uh, years ago you used to have a card game uh that uh do you remember the the, the card game war no, yes, think, right. Where so. you, I sure. declare war, right? And you're trying to get the highest card. Anyway, we used to play it with a, a card deck that was cars, and it was uh, it would have information about cars, you know, the size of the engine, etc. Um, and the, the 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 car that you really wanted was the, the V12. The Lamborghini. It's a, it a British Wait, V12. Do you do you, but, all, do you all do you all have a game called Top Trumps? No. Okay. No. So our version. Maybe it's the same okay, game. Yeah. I, yeah. I think exactly that. I think our version of this game is called Top Trumps, and you, yours mm. is called mm-hmm. War. So yeah, you have cards. Yeah. I've got some with old retro computers, and they've got a set of specs, well, and you have to say the right, and then the highest is, spec right, wins. Yeah. Right. Okay. But but what was it? The reason I brought it up was uh, as a kid playing that card game, there were electric vehicles very very early in the car industry before gas power or around the same time. And and one of the vehicles back then that would was a great trump card was was one of the electric vehicles. So uh, I, I find it interesting that that electric vehicles are new, but they've been around actually since almost the beginning well, of vehicles. They, they were. So. Um, in fact, if you uh, – I've spoken, I think, briefly about this on a previous show, but there's a, a show that's been on the BBC called um, The Wonder – or the, the Secret Genius of Modern Life, I think it's called uh, – Dr. Hannah Fry, and she goes through and reviews various things that we use today that are pretty new and pretty high tech, but talks through every single component of them and where the, how the historical context of that component. And for electric cars, she points out that, you know, um, at the beginning, um, there were electric cars. And, and Ford basically sort of pushed him out of the market because he figured out that he could get the production line, manual production line going around gasoline-based um, vehicles and get them into production much cheap, more cheaply um, than it would take for electric vehicles at that time to be successful. So, yeah, um, you know, literally 100 years ago, there were electric vehicles and uh, the show has um, Dr. Fry actually driving one around uh, from, from, that, from that era. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, very cool. And, Michael, yeah, what thought, was the I, Trump card that was electric for the? You know, how was it? How was it the Trump card in that deck going up against? I, I the can't V12s? remember what what specific um, specific uh, category of the of the different things, but I, I wish I could find that card deck. 
I really wish I could still find that deck. Yeah, I was about to say, I it was probably something like weight, but actually it probably wouldn't be, and that would have been the reverse. I no, it might it might be acceleration. Could have like been acceleration. It could have been the zero to 60. If yeah. anybody, if anybody because, remembers cause... this particular card deck of war or top trumps, then please let us know. And yeah. if you have a copy, then please post a picture of it. Somewhere. Send us a picture. Yeah, that that would be fun. I, I I'd like that a lot. Um, Andy, you said something really funny about this this review too that I liked a lot. You call it the the faux wonder. I think is the the phrase that you used for that. It reminded me when I read this. There's um there's another one that was done by Andy Griffith Griffin Griffin Andy Griffin, um or Griffith. Sorry, I'm getting it all confused. Uh, who wrote a um article long time ago called what it was was football and uh, that was a kind of a fun treatment on uh, american football and what it was like for someone completely unfamiliar with it and what happened as a result so i'll I'll see if i can find that and we'll we'll add that into our list as well okay so uh next next up this this is maybe a little more a little more meaty on a couple of levels and it had some interesting stuff for us to react to uh, there was an mit technology review article about a current case that is before the supreme court um, and it's it's called section 230 and it's going to be heard soon next week actually um from um uh, by the Supreme Court in Gonzalez versus Google. And the notion behind all this is that it is the the structure by which platforms are able to provide content and not have the um, and be protected from any of the users that might say this content is problematic, objectionable, et cetera, et cetera. So naturally platforms that are in the content business or sharing content business have a very important desire to maintain this section 230 protections and the supreme court is really looking at whether recommendations of content is the same as display of content and the the latter which is really um covered by section 230 of the law so while none of us are attorneys on this on this podcast, at least I, I, I don't think anyone's gotten a, a law degree in the last week since since I've been away. Um, the the intriguing thing here is that if this is ruled one way versus another, it can have enormous ripple effects on the way that these platform providers now have to behave and we already know how difficult it is to do content moderation for what is being displayed in this case they're really looking very narrowly at recommendations yeah so so what i find interesting about section 230 right um and the definition of recommendations and the article hits on this is Recommendation, algorithmic recommendation, right? Which is which is kind of the nuanced point that they're looking at. date sequence is still an algorithm, uh-huh. right? So there is it, it's still by definition, as I understand things, which could be completely wrong. Uh, you're still choosing the sequence of the content. You may not be filtering content out if you're just doing date, uh, but. It, this is this is uh, again an, another worrisome side effect of uh, the desire to both have a free and open platform 
but also have a level of accountability for what is free and openly provided. And what happens, interestingly, in in the U.S., right, we have something called the First Amendment, which says the government shall make no laws abridging the freedom of the freedom of speech. Uh, and the way that has been historically interpreted is the government can't cause speech changes within its boundaries, but a private company can, right? So um, if I were the provider of a, a site, uh, I can make up the rules on my site, but I have to then live within those rules. Um, and so what's... What's interesting here is Section 230, when it originally came out, was to allow for protections for corporations that did not provide editorial control to not be liable for content. User-provided content. now we're starting to blend... Now we're blending those together with these discussions, right? Well, uh, because if the content is being edited or filtered algorithmically, is that editorial control? So I've got some fairly recent um, experience for well, <laughs> quite detailed experience of this area, but I'm not going to um, go into it in depth. What I will say is that I was sent as a an EFF member um, today um, actually, and I've just added the link into our show notes, um, the EFF's amicus brief uh, that they have uh, shared um, along with a number of other American organizations because it's an American case in the Supreme Court, um, including the uh, the ALA, the Library Association, the, um, the Freedom, to Road Found- uh, Freedom to Read Foundation, I beg your pardon, and the Internet Archive about how important this is in terms of enabling... Uh, freedom of speech and online culture to to flourish. Um, this is tremendously challenging, and as uh, it's such a powerful both nation and uh, on, on the planet and nation in the context of the internet, um, it's incredibly important that um, these things are treated with the right level of nuance um, by the American authorities because they will have. Um, f- fundamental and uh, resounding impacts. So, uh, yeah, definitely one to watch here. I think um, it's uh, it is one of those things that could have very significant impacts. Or, of course, you know, the the the, the uh, folks may that the corporations that have been relying on them may find new ways to carve out um, protections for themselves. But we shall see. You know, um, there are aspects of these algorithms that are really reinforcement loops, right? There there are times, uh, and we've talked about this on the podcast in a couple of different places around the attention economy, the notion of where do you click through, where do you look, how how are you interacting, what are you searching for and finding. Um, the 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 thing that struck me here is we we're talking a little bit about it, and it's it, it's funny because when you think of how this might fit within an AR or VR environment, um, you know, is there editorial control on the algorithms of what you are seeing and how you are seeing 
what you're seeing. So it's not just it's not just the text that you might appear on a search page or uh, on um, a YouTube channel or something like that as a next up recommendation. Um, it, it almost is a little bit like the the fear sensitive glasses. Uh, do you have to have an algorithm yourself to say here are things that I don't want to see? And therefore filters it out at the human, at the individual level, so that you don't see the things that are going to be terrible for you. And does that burden potentially shift to the individual, which would be a whole new range of things that we have to look our way through. Yeah, we, we, we tend to do that a lot anyway, right? Uh, we do. Think about recycling, right? The, the biggest uh, recycling uh, impact on the globe would be corporate recycling, but we encourage people to do all the recycling, which has a negligible impact, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Well, so interesting. Watch this space, and, th- and thank you for finding that, um, that additional EFF uh, friend of the court piece there, Andy. That's, that's really cool. Um. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, got distracted. Someone texted me just a moment ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I wonder who that could have been. Who, who could that have been? Um, so w- let's move on. Let's move on off world, if we shall, for 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 just a moment. And uh, we have a a lunar story. Um, uh, so soon after the lunar new year, uh, that Michael you found, and that has some intriguing possible benefits for oh. humanity. Yeah, I, I consider this more a tech story than a lunar story. It just happens to be on the moon, <laughs> even though it's not on the moon yet, right? Uh, so Blue Origin this week announced that they have been working uh, on technology to leverage the regolith on the moon uh, in creating solar panels and other uh electric transmission devices uh, for lunar bases. Uh, And what's really, really interesting about this is um, it would allow for creating um, power and a sustainable living environment on the moon without having to carry a ton of content and materials to the moon, uh, which is one of the the big things for making a sustainable habitat on the moon the what they've done is they've created uh regolith on earth that is 99.999 percent uh match to what's came back from the moon uh in in the in the few studies that we've done and have been able to use that to then show that this technology will work um i find this really fascinating um and it allows for I think some really cool innovations that could happen. Uh, now, of course, they're trying to sell the technology to NASA <laughs> uh, instead of saying well, this is you know base science that could be valuable to everyone. Uh, but you know, I, I find this this is really really great stuff, and I look forward to see what what NASA can do with it as part of the Artemis program. So, so for folks that may not be familiar with regolith, can you can you ex- maybe expound on that just a little bit? Uh, and, and help them basically it's the dirt on the moon <laughs> i mean it's that simple it's it's just all the dusty dirt that's on the moon so you can make it's, a mud hut broken on down the moon. small fragments of rock right <laughs> yes. uh and uh it tends to be very pure in the content of what it's made of mostly um silicone iron magnesium aluminum uh, Etc., uh, and that that can then be used to create these other uh, to to create the base 
you know, particles necessary for creating solar panels, for the glass, glass on top of the solar panels, etc. Cool beans. All right, so we're at about wrap-up time for the show, and um, it, it is that time of year when well, we start thinking about peeps, and we well, think, start thinking about all not, kinds of other stuff. It's like not that. that time of the year for at least another six weeks. I know, but it's getting close, right? There are people getting excited. About <laughs> if you this steal this thing. many cream eggs this this far ahead, you're going to just be, end up with a ton of of off melted, melted crappy tasting cream eggs. Anyway, well, y- yes. So, longtime <laughs> listeners will know of our opinions of the the new quote unquote new cream eggs and and how their content and filling has. Uh, seems like it may have degraded over time because we remember the old stuff and it was really good but apparently someone in the uk stole two hundred thousand cream eggs i i said this to my wife and she was she is not um as you may tell from her response is not a fan and she just said why why would anyone do that why why (laughs) but i mean probably because regular eggs are so expensive right now that's right I'd rather just get the cream chicken. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you do, Michael, because the cream chicken will make more cream eggs, and then that's that way right. you don't have to take as many cream eggs, right? Right. You just need three or four hundred chickens. I mean, <laughs> teach, teach a person a chicken, and you don't you'll one, feed for life. Once again, the the the, the article is in the Wall Street Journal, so um, it's uh, you may need to find ways to consume it if uh, uh, you don't have access. But uh, the, there's this is filled with um, amusing. Uh, British British puns, including referring to it as an extravagant theft, uh, and uh, and the police having having saved Easter uh, and various other things. But what a what a relief our uh, our our uh, legal friends, uh, law enforcement friends, are supporting the cause really of the chocolate lovers. Yes. You got. You got to wonder what's going to happen once those eggs are recovered. You know what would, might be done with them. Well, well, if if our listeners are fans or violently opposed to the Cadbury cream eggs, the new ones, how could they tell us about? Well, it? they certainly shouldn't throw them at us because they hurt. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> they hurt a lot more than regular <laughs> eggs. Yes, <laughs> and they're not quite as delicious as they used to be. But they can certainly find us on the web. We're at gamesatwork.biz on the web. We're on podcasts, casting environments that are too many to name. You'll find us every which where. You'll you'll notice us by our new logo uh, that we've put in place, which is pretty snazzy if I say so myself. You can always do what Ed did and and at us on Mastodon and reply and uh, let us know what you think and share your uh, thoughts. Yes, absolutely. Or you could send us some good chocolate, too. I don't know. That would, that yeah. would, that would work as well. Or peeps. <laughs> or peeps. Or pe- send well, send so Michael Rowe that- all the peeps. Send Michael Rowe yes. all of the peeps. Because he'll, he'll be the one who's happy them. about them. I don't eat them either. <laughs> you, 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 you shouldn't be eating them. They need to be appropriately be aged. And they then just be they can be used. <laughs> they can be used. So that... <laughs> so, uh, dear listeners, uh, thank you very much for being here with us for another week. Please uh, drop us some links, uh, draw our attention to the things you're wondering about, whether it is 3D 
40 AI, EI, EIO, uh, or if you're getting excited about something that's about to happen in the legal world too, you never know what's going to show up on our next edition of gamesatwork.biz. Thanks all. See you soon. See you. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Gamesatwork.biz.